Titus chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to read through verse 9, but 5 through 6 will be on the screen. Let's read this together. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. For an overseer, as God's stewards, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Father, as we're listening to your voice, as we're listening to your word, this letter that was written so long ago, we want for you, by the power of your spirit, to be our teacher. And for you, Holy Spirit, what you do so, so well, which is show us Jesus. And allow us to know what his life actually means for us today. We ask this all in your name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So we started talking last week. So we read those first couple of verses last week. And we're continuing and finishing up this particular section. We began last week saying communities of grace cultivate a culture of grace. So often we've lived in communities that are the opposite of grace. Their culture hasn't been grace. What does it look like? Well, communities of grace should be cultivating that. So how does this look as Paul outlines it here? Well, we said it's through a continuity of care. It's a heart of instruction. Those two things we looked at last week. And then this third thing is qualities of a servant leader or qualities of servant leaders. So Paul gives a a description of what is called elders and overseers for the church. This is partly why he's writing the letter to Timothy, so that Timothy will know how to put these kind of things in order. But these qualities that we want to see elders or what we're going to call servant leaders is what God is building into all of us. So Paul tells Titus to appoint elders that represent what Jesus is calling all of his people to be. So if you are a follower of Christ and you never have any desire whatsoever to be an elder, that does not mean you get to go to sleep right now. Right? I mean, this is to, yes, it is to explain what elders are, but this is for all of us. These qualities are still for all of us. And if you're not maybe a follower of Jesus, it's, this is a good thing to listen to. This is the kind of stuff he wants to build into his people. So as we, as we walk through this, we want to look at three uh, major qualities, and there's going to be some sub-things underneath that. Servant leaders are this, these qualities. They foster healthy community. They manifest healthy humanity, and they cling to the healthy one. So it's gonna, we're going to see how Paul outlines these things. First, fosters a healthy, um, a healthy culture, a healthy community. Where do we see this, like in the text itself? Well, he kind of bookends it when we look at verse 6 and then verse 9. Verse 6, he jumps into family dynamics. He says, if you are a man and you're married... Health looks like being a one-woman man, or you could say, if you're a wife, a one-man woman. What does this mean? What's he meaning by this? Well, if you're married, you get one spouse at a time. 
Okay, it's a lot more to it, but that's kind of the starting point. You get one at a time. And this includes faithfulness to that one. We talked a little bit about this last week, but there's so much more to it. Being a one woman man provokes this question. Do you treat your wife like she is the only woman in the world? Hmm. You treat your life. I'm so glad my wife is not in here. She's back in the nursery today. So I can talk about what a great husband I am today. Just kidding. I won't actually do that. Do you treat your life, wife like she's the only woman in the world? Does she feel you value her above yourself? Does she feel that you value her second to one? If you're a follower of Jesus, second to Jesus. What, is, what does that do to a spouse if they're valued like that? It fosters, fosters love, fosters safety, fosters health. This is the soil where good stuff grows. This, this is what we all want and what we want for servant leaders to foster. This is what you're looking for when you're looking for servant leaders, those that will foster this. But this is also within the family. So then he goes on, he talks about children. Children are to be believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. Okay, those words have deep significance. We're not going to go into the details of them. But you might say, that's, that's kind of, un- that's a little unfair, Right? How can I control what my kids believe and do, especially as they get older? Because the word for, for children here doesn't necessarily mean little ones. So how can I have any control over that? Okay, that's a fair question, I, I think, for us to ask. So let's get back to what is God getting at? This is what we talked about last week. What is the heart of instruction? What is he getting at when he says these things? The way you serve your family is to foster health. This is fundamental. What is that involved when it comes to kids? Well, some of these qualities is what we're going to look at in just a minute that he outlines for what a servant leader looks at. But I want to summarize a few things just for the sake of what does this look like in the home? Okay, and these, are, these aren't specifically coming from this book. This is coming from all of Scripture. This is kind of wisdom about what it looks like to to have a household of grace. What does it look like? Well, it's an environment that lovingly disciplines, personally values, willfully surrenders, and gratefully enjoys. I just want to hit these real briefly. Lovingly disciplined, training, consistency, and discipline, especially when your kids are younger, this is part of healthy family. Kids, (laughs) as if I have to tell you this, kids don't innately know what what a healthy life looks like. I'm not sure most of us know what a healthy life looks like. Every child that I have ever known tends to be pretty self-focused, right? The, the default is to do what feels best, which is not always the most healthy way to live. You, do you know that that's true? Like, to do what feels right, is that, is that the best way for you to live? To take what you want, when you want it, and do whatever you want with it. That is not the road to health. Do that with food, right? That doesn't work. Do that with your exercise. Do that in relationships. Do that in your mental and spiritual life. It doesn't usually end well. If we don't provide loving loving instruction and discipline and allow uh, the kids among us to suffer some of the consequences of their decisions, we are not fostering health. 
At the same time, there is only so much uh, a parent or an aunt or an uncle or whoever it is, maybe the younger people in your life. There's only so much you can do because you cannot save the kids around you or, or force heart belief and obedience. Try it. It doesn't work. You can't. You can force external obedience up to a point, can't you? What's up to a point? At some point, okay, wait a minute now. There's only so much you can do. Eventually, that runs out. Trying to force obedience runs out and quickly backfires. It will quickly backfire. So with this, they and people in general need, secondly, to be personally valued. What does it look like for you to be personally valued? Because the question could be asked, what does that mean? How do I personally value someone? Well, how do you experience personal, being personally valued? Well, for some of us, it's being listened to, right? Respected, honored, seen, known, not constantly criticized. These are ways to value a healthy home environment personally and deeply values each other, even when you disagree. Even when your kids or your others in your household may disagree, how do you personally value them in that context? In all of this, our own honest surrender to Jesus is essential. Listening to him, listening to his word, being in prayer, being in conversation about him, where we are seeking to follow him makes for a healthy home. If we're talking about a Jesus-centered home, this is critical. This often involves repentance. Like submission to Jesus often involves repentance, acknowledging wrong, not only toward God, but towards others in your family where, you, where you've done wrong. Kids and others that are in your household, they need to experience our repentance. They need to experience when we've done something wrong that we own it, right? A healthy life and family is one that's surrendered to the servant leadership of Jesus. So for a home that's centered on Jesus, Jesus actually is the ultimate servant leader that we are invited to surrender to. And those within our household need to experience that. This is what actually cultivates a healthy environment. It's not just blind submission when we talk about surrendering and submitting to Jesus. It's thoughtful, it's prayerful, sometimes it's wrestling with God kind of submission, which means we, get, we need to trust this gospel story. We need to trust it, not in a superficial way, we need to trust it as being intellectually credible and relationally accessible and emotionally satisfying and holistically compelling. Like this needs to be the environment within the home. And in all of this, gratitude and enjoyment of life and the life of Jesus is to be experienced and expressed. So if the Christian home is not grateful and sincerely joyful, enjoyable, and to some degree at least fun in very real and tangible ways, we're missing out and we're shortchanging our family. Laughter is important in the home. Very important in the home. Right? What's, what's the old saying like laughter is the best medicine is that a thing or did i just make that up i feel like that's a thing right laughter it's needed i'm not saying that you have to be happy all the time or that there's not deep sadness there's not real hardship that you face just that even in those times we can live upon a foundation of a deeper joy even in the hard times what do we want like over the long haul for our families for kids among us and for ourselves we want to foster an environment where people flourish, where belief and submission to Jesus grows not out of pure fear of displeasing mom or dad or aunt or uncle or God, 
Like that's not the fundamental that we want for people to, to be building their life on. We want them to be building out of a heart that is reoriented and captured and compelled by the goodness and the beauty and the truth and the magnificence of who God is. That is what we want for our family. So the question for us is, does our home foster this kind of healthy environment? What is your home like? This is, hopefully it's somewhat convicting too. Hopefully this is a convicting thing. Servant leaders foster this kind of a healthy culture. So then we're going to jump down to verse 9. Paul says, uh, this uh, servant leader, elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So this word for sound could also be healthy. It's, the, it's to be healthy. It also is a, it's a medical metaphor. So Jesus uses this in Luke chapter 5, uh, some conversation was going on and he said those who are well same word those who are sound those who are healthy have no need of a physician but those who are sick servant leaders are to carefully use the teaching of the trustworthy word to bring wellness to each other what's the point of what we're doing now what's the point of us speaking and teaching one another is to bring wholeness and wellness and health. A fundamental quality of a servant leader is to foster healthy community. What does it look like? Okay, what does this actually look like? Well, the bulk of this section gives characteristics of a person who is, what Paul says, above reproach and humbly understands that they are God's steward. So this is the characteristics part. So above, above reproach, it's not something we use all the time, but we kind of get the idea, right? It means blameless. It means guiltless. It doesn't mean that you are perfect. It just means that your life is transparent and it's full of integrity. Let's go down that road. And you could summarize these qualities listed as manifestations of healthy humanity. What's Paul giving us when we talk about the qualities? These are actually qualities of healthy humanity. What does a healthy human being look like? Looks like this. What is this? He breaks it up into two sections. He's got the not stuff, like things you don't want, and then the, the good stuff. So things that we do or want to be, and then the things that we don't want to do or don't want to be. And I would encourage us, even as we go through this week, and we're going to walk through this, can't, we can't drill into each of them in great depth, right? But I would encourage you as you go into the week, consider these characteristics of unhealthy and healthy humanity. What kind of friend are you? What kind of, what kind of friends do you want? Do these characteristics resonate with you of things you want? And then pray that God would weed out the bad and grow in the good, not only in our individual lives, but in the lives of the community those who we love and care for. So he gives five unhealthy characteristics and then seven healthy manifestations. So let's just run through these quickly. Not, what not to do? Not, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Do you like being around arrogant, stubborn people? Do you enjoy that? Tell me. Oh, you do. He does. You like that. Stubborn, because the word is also stubborn. Do you like this? No, we don't like this. We don't enjoy this. This is, along with all these others in the not list, they are corrosive. They are damaging to individuals and to community. Arrogance corrupts you and me and the people that are around. And those with a quick temper, right? 
are harmful in part because you never know when they're going to fly off the handle. Do you have friends like that? Are you a friend like that? The quick temper? Right? You're, you're always, you always have to be on your guard when you meet with them. Like, is this going to be a good day or a bad day? I'm not sure. It's corruptive. Someone who is regularly getting drunk or an addict is often not the most trustworthy person. It's hard to develop deeper friendships there. And if you do struggle with addiction of any kind, this is not the condemnation on you. It's just a recognition of what does it do to you and to the community around you, right? It's corruptive, and we could probably, most of us could probably give examples. We have friends or relationships or relatives that have struggled with some kind of addiction, and we know what that does to the family. We know what it does to the person, right? Then violent people create harm on a multitude of levels, from physical safety to emotional health. Violent outburst is obviously harmful to others, but it's also harmful to the person who is violent. Like the internal angst that, that lashes out in violence is often a tortured and hurting person on the inside. Do you know that? Do you know that when you see violence? Do you know that that's probably a tortured soul on the inside? And that unhealth spreads unhealth to others. Greedy for gain. Okay, an overseer is not to be greedy for gain. Gain of what? Greedy for gain of, of money, of possessions, greedy for p- power is a de- dehumanizing cancer in anybody that it exists in. It's dehumanizing. When we are looking for servant leaders, this is, and I'm going to just throw this out there. Do we want to be tolerant people? Yeah, I think in some ways. Do you want to be tolerant of the greedy for gain? We must be intolerant. We can't tolerate the greedy for gain. Servant leaders can't tolerate that in themselves. If someone is using their position to advance their agenda for their own gain, it dehumanizes others and it dehumanizes the greedy person. Why is that the case? Because we turn people into our little pawns in our game of life and we manipulate for personal ends. And we do this, people are not valued for who they are, but for what I can get out of them, what they can do for me. As we talk through all of these, it's easy to see these in others, isn't it? I'm guessing as I'm talking through them, your names and faces might even be popping into your mind. Is a mirror popping into your mind as well? I would ask you to at least consider that. Where is this not only something you may see unhealth in others, but where is it a part of me? Where might it be a part of you? All these characteristics of unhealth are at the core a focus on self rather than care for others. Like if we're going to summarize what all those unhealthy things are, it's a focus on self as opposed to care for others. And this unravels and it corrupts our humanity. It corrupts us as human beings. Then he goes into the pot. So those are the negatives. So we've got the five negatives. Then he goes into the positives. A servant leader, an elder, a steward of God is to be what? Seven things. Hospitable. Have you ever heard what this hospitable word is in, in Greek? It is philoxenos. Philoxenos. It's made up of two different words. Philos and uh, xenos. Philos, like love, friendly, that type of thing. We've heard of that. Philo, 
philos, love kind of a thing. And then uh, xenos. You know what xenophobia is? Xenophobia, the fear or the hatred of a stranger, of a foreigner. Xenophobia, same word, strange, stranger. This is love of stranger. What is hospitality? Healthy humanity is lover of strangers. That's, that's insightful. I don't know that that's, that's definitely now how, how I grew up understanding what hospitality is. Hospitality is certainly opening our homes and our lives to being available to our friends. Certainly, that's the case. But it goes so much deeper. It's opening and inviting to the strangers around us. This is an important theme throughout the Hebrew Bible. Care for the widow and the orphan and the strangers. This is part of the heart of God. Then he goes on and he says, a lover of good. The, the first part of love or of good is the same as the philoxenos, right? Philos here is also the lover of good. This is essential for health, a disposition of love for what is good, what is right, and what is true, not just for oneself, but also for the world around us. We want to see good promoted and then self-controlled. This is the opposite of much of those negative characteristics like being quick-tempered. This is the opposite of being quick-tempered. Self-controlled is a measured response to life. It doesn't live out of the unrestrained emotion. And then upright is certainly an internal characteristic, but it's also what people should experience from us. When, when you experience someone, you want to experience from them this justice and fairness, uprightness, when you're dealing with someone in business, what do you want? Just be upright. Just be just and fair, right? This is something, this is good humanity. How critical is this for your health? Living uprightly. Not being swayed by popular opinion. Doesn't react unjustly to your opponent or treat your friend with an unfair bias. Right? One of the things I love hearing is when you read an article or you hear from somebody, let's say that they're on the left politically, and obviously they disagree with their uh, opponents on the right, but when you hear them write an article, that though they may disagree on some fundamentals, they celebrate when they see something good on the opposite side, right? and then vice versa, the right doing that to the left. When you see that, what is that? That is uprightness. There's a beauty to that. And then he goes into holy. We are to be holy. We are to be sanctified. What is this? It's being set apart. This is a major way that God is described. When you read, when you read about God in the Bible, we talk about him being holy. We even call, call the Spirit the Holy Spirit, right? This is a major categorization, characterization of God. It's, it's his uniqueness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his purity, his justice. Healthy humanity is renewed into the likeness of God. That's what we are to be, holy. These characteristics, this characteristic, God's characteristics is supposed to become our characteristics. And then disciplined, which is very similar to the whole self-controlled thing. Uh, Disciplined is to have one's emotions, impulses, or desires under control. Right, this would certainly involve self-discipline, but I think when we're talking as, as followers of Jesus, 
there's so much more for us because it's to have all of our faculties under the control, not just of our self, but of God's spirit so that our lives are disciplined to look more and more like the life of Jesus. What do we want to be? We want to be self-disciplined. Well, yeah, we do kind of, but ultimately we want to be spirit disciplined so that the spirit presses the life of Jesus into us and his life is being manifest in us. This makes you... He is the ultimate human. This makes us into healthy humanity. Then finally, the servant leader must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and to rebuke. So servant leaders believe they hold firm to the trustworthy word of God. What is that? Well, it can mean lots of things, but let's focus in on this. It's the Bible. It's holding firm to Scripture. And we are to do this in order to give instruction and to rebuke when things contradict. Holding firm is learning, it's trusting, it's submitting to, it's personally submitting to, it's resting in, it's having our life formed by the Word of God, the Word of God, the trustworthy Word. We are being formed. We're holding firm to it. And as a result, what do we do? We get to counsel or we get to teach in light of who God is and what he has said and done. What is our instruction based on? It's based on what we know about him from his word. And then we get to recognize and we bring to light the things that contradict that in each other and in community. And this doesn't mean all servant leaders, this is kind of a clarification, doesn't mean all servant leaders or elders are supposed to get up here and preach sermons, right? It doesn't mean you have to do that. You don't have to necessarily be a formal teacher. Some might do that. That's definitely the case. Some might do that, but it's not a requirement. What is required is that the counsel and the instruction that they give must flow out of and must point back to the trustworthy word of God. Does that make sense? Okay. So uh, much of this could, we could, we could, We could talk forever about this, and we need to talk more and more about this. But my encouragement is let's, my encouragement is let's sit in it. Let, let us, let's talk through this. And as we do this, here are two things that always stand out to me. Like when I read through these things, what stands out to me? This is the beautiful life. Like what if this, these characteristics really were the, the song of my life? I mean, hopefully there are pieces of it, but what if my life was full of this? It's the beautiful life. But here's the second part. Man, I fall short. I mean, reading this list is convicting. I've had to be sitting in this the last two weeks. This is, this is, this is challenging. It's convicting. And I, I would say if it doesn't strike you as being convicting, if you feel like, you know, I, I pretty much got this. I think I got the qualifications. Read it again, maybe. Uh, dig a little deeper into your own life. Doesn't mean you don't see good things in your life. I don't want to crush you, but let's go a little bit deeper. Where maybe is God wanting to expose? And if we start hungering for more, if we want to foster more healthy community, and we want to manifest a more healthy humanity, what God says in verse 9 becomes more than just a qualification. It becomes a source of life. What do I... What do we mean by that? Well, he says, hold fast, cling to the trustworthy word. The only hope 
we have in all of this, the way health comes to us and grows in us is first and last by clinging not just to the words of God's teaching. It's not just clinging to his law and his instruction. It's clinging to the trustworthy word made flesh who is the healthy one. We read back through all these qualifications and what do you see? Like as, you, as, as we look at these, what, what do you actually see? What's the picture being painted Paul's intent is that we see Jesus. These are qualities of his kingdom and his people because they are his qualities. He is the one manifesting these qualities. He fosters healthy community. He's the one that manifests healthy humanity. He's the one who was and is perfectly, think about it, he's perfectly disciplined, is he not? He's holy. Well, yeah. He's holy. He's upright. Is he fair and just? Yes, he is. He's self-controlled. He is the lover and the maker of all that is good. And all of this is open to us and it flows to us because of his hospitality. This one's, this one's fascinating to me. It's not just welcome, He doesn't just welcome us into his home for a nice meal as a friendly neighbor. Hey, come on in, buddy. I mean, he does do that. He does welcome us to his table. He does do that. But he is the lover of strangers who reaches out to us who were aliens and lost and sick. Going back to what we quoted a few minutes ago in Luke chapter 5. So Jesus is eating with sinners, tax collectors and sinners. And people come up to him, they're like, what in the world are you doing? And Jesus answered them. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. His hospitality is so great that even when he came to us bringing health, that's all that he did when he came to us was bring health. When he did that, we rejected him. But yet he returned with unshakable love. So that through his death and his resurrection, he not only invites us into his home as friends and family, but he can now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, make his home in us. If we recognize the unhealthy realities of our own life and surrender to him, and surrender to his hospitality. That's what he invites us to do. Grabbing hold of him, we are made new and we're going to be made healthy. Keep surrendering to his hospitality. Keep coming to his, to his table. This is how he fosters healthy humanity and how he manifests in us a healthy new humanity, healthy community. And therefore, he spreads this culture of grace. This is how he does it. So, Father, as we listen to this, and we, we look at you, Jesus, and the, there's so much here that you're laying out for us. These beautiful qualifications of what, what a healthy community looks like and what a healthy humanity looks like. And we, we are drawn to it. We want that to be us. And yet we know the only way into that kind of life is... Through Jesus, the one who is the perfect humanity, the perfect health. It is by us consuming him 
that we are made more and more like him. And that's our request right now, that you would do that in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.